2: Hello, welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster and today we have a very special guest who is Daphne Palmer Janikopoulos, author of a book that just came out called The Pirate's Wife, The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd. And so she is going to join me to help share the story of Sarah Kidd, who is married to uh, the famous pirate Captain Kidd, who you might have heard about. It's a really interesting story and I hope you enjoy this talk with Daphne Palmer Janikopoulos. Okay, so I'm joined today by Daphne Palmer Janikopoulos, author of The Pirate's Wife, The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd. Welcome, Daphne. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I think um, I'm really excited to get to learn more about your book um, and also about Sarah Kidd. But my first question is how, like, this is a whole book just about Sarah Kidd, who is the wife of Captain Kidd. We're going to talk about that. How did you come across enough information to write a whole book about her?
1: Well, I first got interested in pirates when I wrote a a freelance piece for the New York Times Museum special section about the Witta Pirate Museum in Provincetown. And um, when I saw the artifacts of the pirates, I realized that they had lives and connections on land. And the legend of the captain of the, with the pirate ship, Sam Bellamy, had a love interest, Maria Hallett. And that told me that pirates might have families and communities. And I hadn't thought about that before. So in the course of writing my first book, The Pirate Next Door, the untold story of 18th century pirates' wives, families, and communities, I learned about Sarah Kidd, and I knew that she would be worth a deeper look.
2: And so what sorts of resources did you have to learn about her?
1: I used a variety of sources because women left little record of their affairs. Mm -hmm. Most women, including Sarah, were illiterate because men owned all the property and exercised most of the legal rights at the time. And history was written by men for men. In order to explore Sarah's life, I read a lot of contextual history of pirates and of the time period, which gave me the broad scope of the economic, political, and social conditions under which she lived in. And I was able to find some important primary sources of Sarah's that she left, and uh, for example, her petition to the governor of Massachusetts, uh, Lord Belmont and asking him to uh, give her back her seized property. And she left a will and a number of other things. There was a lot of land transactions and genealogical information. Many of the ancient sources that I relied on were handwritten, and I transcribed them to make them easier to work with. Mm -hmm. I also visited the archives and the places where Sarah and Captain Kidd had lived, Those were in New York and Boston and Rhode Island, and I I walked the surroundings where she had been to get a greater sense of her world at the time. I also found some really great resources at the National Archives in London, among the Admiralty Papers, and at the Library of Congress in Washington. And Captain Kidd also left statements, recorded statements, that gave evidence of their relationship.
2: So can you contextualize if we're just kind of starting at the very beginning of the story? So Sarah, it starts with she's a young teenager and she immigrates over. So what was the what was the reason her family came over to the United States?
1: She was 14 years old when she came from England to New York with her father and two brothers. The reason they came was to get a fresh start. To get a fresh start in the new world and opportunities, her father was a mariner, and he owned it owned transatlantic vessels, so trade was booming in Manhattan, and uh, he came for those economic advantages.
2: Sorry, and can you just contextualize just for the listeners what what year is this? What era are we looking at?
1: So she arrived in 1684 at the age of fourteen.
2: And then pretty quickly, she was married, which was unusual for someone that young, right?
1: Right. Within the year, at the age of 15, she was married to one of the wealthiest merchants in the colony, William Cox. And even for that time, 15 years old, to be married was very, very unusual because most women in the colonial period married at about the age of 21 to 23.
2: And why do you think she was married off so young just for the for the partnership? Like his her father just wanted to set up this alliance with the man she married.
1: Well, I think the man that she married was very attracted to her. She was clearly very special. Um, it, it, it's been recorded that she was described as lovely and accomplished. She was unusual. She was uh, very mature for her age. And to have a man who is nearly 20 years older than her pick her among the other women in the colony, her husband that she married, William Cox, had been in Manhattan for eight years, and he was very established. He was very wealthy. He was an, an elected official. He was a selectman. He's very connected in polite New York society. And he could have had anybody, but he picked Sarah.
2: But then that marriage was uh, tragically short-lived. Can you talk about what happened to him?
1: Yes, it was tragically short-lived. They had been married four years, and uh, William Cox had been sent on a mission to New Jersey to tell the colonists that there was a new monarch. There were new monarchs, William and Mary. And while he was on that mission, he drowned Stepping between stepping between his
2: canoe onto his ship and he drowned,
1: uh, unfortunately,
2: yeah. So you write, well, I mean, in detail about that. So that was recorded the events of his death that was was that in the newspaper, or just people wrote letters, people who witnessed it?
1: The witnesses re- uh, recorded it, and it's in the primary sources. It was a very big event because he was a very established member of society and for him to die in this way while he was on a mission was was awful and there were people that saw the whole thing of him trying to step from his canoe to a ship and then he lost his footing and he fell in the water and he was wearing his finery his brocade coat and his buckled shoes and uh, he sunk in the mud and it was just tragic. It was awful.
2: It's just such a strange fluke because he and everybody would do that a hundred times, stepping onto the boat. It's just, yeah.
1: It, you're you're exactly right. He would have done it a hundred times in his life. It was just a, a fluke. It was it was unfortunate for sure.
2: And then it leaves Sarah a widow at what is she nineteen years old? That's right. She was widowed at 19
1: and her affairs uh, were complicated because of the, uh, she make got caught up in bureaucracy. Her hands were tied on what she could do. And like any woman of that time, in order to get standing it was, and have legal rights, it was through her husband. So within a year, she remarried. Another merchant and a mariner named John Ort. He was a Dutch merchant,
2: and so this marriage again not long lasting, right? And it and it
1: wasn't terrific either. He mm-hmm. couldn't, he couldn't uh, pay their bills. He had difficulties as a merchant, and he ran them into debt. So Sarah went from being very wealthy to being very poor. So he he died. We're, we're not sure how he died. There are no records of it. But we do know that while she was married to John Ort, she met Captain Kidd at a chance encounter. Uh, Captain Kidd was purchasing a house from her brother, Samuel Jr., who had inherited a house on Wall Street, which is the financial district of Manhattan. And he had inherited that from Sarah's first husband, William Cox. So her brother, her younger brother is selling this house and Captain Kidd purchased it. So she met Captain Kidd then.
2: People like myself, so who I, I read the book, vaguely kind of on Captain Kidd, oh, he's a pirate. Can you just contextualize for people? At the time she met him, who was Captain Kidd? What was he up to?
1: He was a privateer. He was a stellar member of society. He owned a great deal of property. He was a war hero because he had saved the colony from chaos that was going on during Jacob Lester's takeover of the colony. And so he was um, he was a very esteemed member of society. He was a very reputable privateer. He was very skilled as a mariner. And so when she met him, he was just this great guy. And for the record, he did not come turn pirate until much, much later. And when she married him two days after John Orr died, he was a privateer. And um, the two of them were like a power couple.
2: Can you talk about what, what, so I just think it's so fascinating that we'll talk about what happens to Captain Kidd, but he's remembered now as this pirate. But at the time, a privateer was kind of the reverse reputation. He was doing things that we think of as pirate things. But when you're doing it for um, the government, then you're called a privateer. So can you just talk about the difference? Like what was a privateer versus a pirate?
1: That's a great question. A privateer is, in essence, a legal pirate a privateer, Captain Kidd, was hired by King William and the most important men in London, a number of lords, to go hunt enemy ships. And England was at war with France. So Captain Kidd was to go capture French ships, capture the ship and the cargo and bring it back to London. Privateers were Auxiliaries to the British Navy, because during wartime wartime there was a shortage of of men and ships. So they hired these men with who own their own ships to go and and help them uh, fight the enemy. So they are issued a legal document called a letter of mark that is a contract, and it's very specific on what the intention is. Captain Kidd was issued two letters of Mark because he was so accomplished as a mariner. He was to act as a privateer to capture French enemy ships. And he was also to capture pirates and rid the seas of pirates that were disrupting international trade. So he was a legitimate, uh, a legitimate mariner. Pirates are not legitimate mariners, they're outlaws, and they do not share, they do not take the cargo back and give it to their investors. There are no investors, it's just an independent entity of the captain and his crew, and when they capture a ship, they steal the cargo and they divide the goods among
2: themselves. So at the time she married Captain Kidd, so he was... I just think it's so fascinating because if we're just kind of looking at the story as it happens, so she married him. And like you said, they were this power couple. He was a very well regarded, very important member of society. So this she was in, she's had these debts with her previous husband, but now she's elevated. But also their relationship. Can you talk about this was a good relationship? They really loved each other.
1: Yes. And and Captain Kidd um, paid off her debts. And he was able to untangle the uh, bureaucracy with his lawyer. He was able to untangle the bureaucracy that tied up Sarah's inheritance from her first husband, William Cox. So, yes, it it was a very strong relationship. And he stayed uh, around for five years working as a merchant sea captain. To be near Sarah, they had two daughters, a little girl named Elizabeth and young Sarah. Elizabeth was born in 1692. Sarah and Captain Kidd married in May of 1691. She was 21 years old, and he was 37. And in 1692, they had Elizabeth. In 1694, they had little Sarah. So for five years, he was home, except when he went on his trips to Antigua to deliver uh, goods for his merchant shipping business. But then after five years, he really got the itch to have a dream job, and that is to get back into serious privateering. And he wanted to be um, sponsored by the monarch. That was his dream job.
2: And so, what what happens next? So he's he starts traveling more effectively, like he's away more often.
1: So he promises Sarah that he will he will be back very soon. But he wanted the opportunity to see if he could get this uh, dream job with the King of England and investors. So he 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 tells Sarah, "I'll be back by Christmas." And uh, uh, he brings with him Sarah's younger brother, Samuel Jr., who those two have a very special relationship. Kid is more like a big brother or an uncle to him. He mentors him and teaches him the way of being a a sailor. And so he brings him with him, Samuel Jr., to uh, London, where Captain Kid tries to and succeeds at getting. This privateering job. So he's gone for uh, almost a year, and he comes back and he tells Sarah that he's got this great opportunity, and he promises her it's a one-year gig. It's a one-year job. He'll be back, and um, this is this is an opportunity of a lifetime. So he does go. And she lets him go, and uh, they spend time together every minute before he leaves. And um, he uh, when he sets out on his voyage, it's just supposed to be for one year. That's what his contract says. But while he's at sea for a year, he doesn't find any prizes to capture. So he stays an extra year, and then he stays an extra year. And it's three years now. And his men, are are really unhappy because they have no money to pay to earn they they've earned no money and they have no money to send back to their family so things are difficult after 3 years and and the ship that he was given a brand new ship called the adventure galley is now leaking and in bad repair and the men are mutinous and the conditions on board are terrible so it's a very difficult Time for Captain Kidd and his men insist that they just take any prize that they can because they are now desperate. And that's where he breaks his contract and captures ships that are not just French ships, he caps captures other ships too. And that's when he's considered that he turned pirate.
2: And so once he does that, what are the what are the repercussions to to the king who had, who had given him this job.
1: Well, they keep it quiet. They don't want anybody to know, and they use Captain Kidd as a scapegoat. In the meantime, Captain Kidd comes back after three years to get Sarah. He is now a wanted man, and he uh, comes back to get Sarah so that together they can plot how he can try to get pardoned. From uh, Lord Belmont, who is the governor of New York and Massachusetts. But Lord Belmont also is, um, he wears two hats. He's not only the governor appointed by the king, whose mission, by the way, is to stamp out piracy in the colonies, but he is also a private investor in Captain Kidd's privateering voyage. And he has a lot to gain if Captain Kidd is successful in. Carrying out the uh, the mission of capturing French ships, so they they come back. uh, The king keeps it quiet, and the investors keep it quiet. And Captain Kidd is really left on his own to try to save his life. So he comes back, and he he and Sarah reunite. Yes, he comes back, and he he arranges a secret rendezvous with Sarah through his lawyer to have her. Skirted away from Manhattan. He doesn't go into Manhattan because he knows he'll be captured. And he has her taken by ship with their children to Block Island, where he's arranged for her to stay uh, safely with some friends of his until he can get to Block Island, which is a small island in Long Island Sound, where he will come and get her and they will be reunited after three years.
2: So this is where. What I find really compelling, and I'm sure this is part of why, what led you to write the book, is the fact that, like you were saying, you know, pirates had people at home. They had loved ones, they had families. But the fact that he and she, like that they're, that they're so drawn to each other, despite all of these circumstances, he's finding ways, even though it's complicated, to, to reunite with her because, because they were so in love. I find that very moving.
1: Yes, he risked his life to come back for her. He came all the way from the Indian Ocean back to New York. That's a long way, mm-hmm. and it was very risky. but he um, he he wanted to be with her. And um she could have known she 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 would have known she would have known that he was declared a pirate. And it's a very scary time. It would have been put her at risk. But she didn't hesitate when she learned that he was nearby and that he had made these arrangements for her to go to Block Island. She did not hesitate; she packed up her worldly belongings, her silver, her money, packed up her children, grabbed her uh, took her maid with her to help her with the children, and um did not hesitate and uh that's an amazing show of devotion because it was enormously scary. She knew what happens to to pirates. She put herself in harm's way because of her devotion. She absolutely believed in him and he needed her too. He absolutely relied on her skill as street savvy and her support and her commitment to keeping their family together.
2: And that's just, when I think of pirates, I I don't think of that side of things. I don't think of them being a devoted like you just said, devoted to the family, devoted to the wife. I think that's such an interesting and unexpected thing for me to learn. So, how did their reunion go on Block Island?
1: Uh, well, it, it went very well. Um, he he came for her before before she arrived there. When she was in transit, Captain Kidd dropped off cannon and ammunition. On the front lawn of his friend's house, and pointed the cannon towards the harbor, which was a, a signal to anyone, any of the authorities, don't mess with my wife and family. So he made arrangements to protect her and his daughters, and he he did come for her. They uh, she rode on his pirate ship. She and the their daughters and their maid, and she invited their uh, her friends that she was staying with. They were all on the pirate ship, sailing around um, Long Island Sound for a couple of days. Not just having fun. They, although when they reunited, Captain Kidd had made arrangements to have a feast of uh, as a form of reunion celebration of um, sheep. Uh, he had spices. He had rum, sh- spices to cook the sheep, and um, so they had they had a festive reunion, and then they got down to business on how how he was going to um, try to secure a pardon uh, with the governor, who is now is moved from Manhattan to to Boston to check out things in that colony.
2: So I like thinking that they were reunited obviously they were very devoted to each other very in love but also she was helping him strategize presumably to figure out based on what she knew from having been living there for so long maybe she would know who who her friends were who she could maybe contact who she could um, petition to maybe find support for him do you think that was part of their strategy
1: Yes, um, I think she applied her, her, her natural instincts of nurturing and protecting, and I think that was her strongest suit. He re- While they were on uh, his boat, which was called the St. Antonio, he received a letter via a messenger from the governor saying, if you are as innocent as you say, come to Boston and you will be pardoned. Well, together they read that and it just didn't ring quite true that he wouldn't put in writing a a more committed, a a stronger commitment for Captain Kidd. So I think what she contributed to him was her womanly instincts of, wait a minute, let's make sure that we're more secure, more safe Mm-hmm. Let's write back and buy more buy more time until we can get a, a a clearer sense of really what's going on with with things. But he relied on her for that. absolutely needed mm-hmm. her
2: and that's where I think a lot of the the strength of your book as well is you found these primary sources, and you're looking at the events that happened and then kind of deducing what Sarah's role would have been in these events given that we don't have her writings, we don't have her diaries. So we know that she and he were on the ship together. You just said they, um, you know, they were suspicious of this, of this letter. So then what happened next? So they go to,
1: they sail, they're very suspicious. And Captain Kidd has a ship full of uh, treasure so he goes to uh, Gardner's Island, which is in Long Island Sound. So he is in Long Island Sound, picture this, at Block Island, and he sails west. Just a, It's just a few miles. It's very close to another small island that's has a reputation as being um, kind of a safe harbor for uh, mariners. And it's it's an island called John, Gardner's Island. The lord of the manor there is named John Gardner. And Captain Kidd uh, asks him to keep some of his treasure for him and a few of his slaves. And also he wants to bury a trunk full of treasure on Gardner's Island. All of this is in the primary sources because John Gardner gave depositions about this, and he John Gardner reported that Mrs. Kidd was on the ship, okay. so we know she was there. we know exactly where where the all of this transpired. we know the events we know the the uh the goods that were uh, that were buried on uh gardner's Island so he uh, captain Kidd is is making provisions to Provide for his safety by offloading his treasure, because he thinks that it is a great leverage with the governor uh, to give him a pardon. And if the go- if the governor will give him a pardon, he will tell him where all the treasure is.
2: Well, and I think I'm sure we'll get to this towards the end of the story. But one of the things that Captain Kidd is known for is having buried treasure. And where did he bury his treasure? So this is one example of him doing that, that we know about.
1: Yes, we, we definitely know that he buried it on Gardner's Island. And we also know that the governor found out about it and uh, found out about it. And eventually it had to be returned. So he here's the story. So Captain Kidd buries it on, uh, on Gardner's Island. They offload all the treasure on there, so and then they return to Boston, and the ship is now empty of any treasure. So Captain Kidd arrives, and after a couple of days trying to get a meeting with the, with the governor, he is finally granted a meeting, and he is asking for a pardon. And the, the governor doesn't trust him and arrests him and puts him in prison there in Boston. And he's chained with sixteen pound weights around his ankle and his wrists. And he's in solitary confinement. And Captain Kidd tells him is forced to tell him about the buried treasure on Gardner's Island, of which he does. And uh, Lord Belmont sends men to Gardner's island and and has it dug up. John Gardner, the lord of the manor, is is not in any position to mess around with the governor's men and tells him where it is buried on his property. And the the governor's men dig up the the trunk full of treasure and bring it back to Boston. And the other other bits of treasure that were offloaded were dispersed in various ways and various places of which we don't really know. Um, but the only person who would have known is Sarah.
2: Yeah, I just want to mention, too, for people who are going to read the book, like the very the very opening of the book, you kind of hint towards she is the only one who knows where potentially more treasure is buried. That's correct. That's correct.
1: There are no primary sources to te- to, that say where the rest of the treasure is. Other, there are primary sources that say it was buried on tri- on Gardner's Island. There are no primary sources that say where else it was buried. Um, but but Sarah would have known where it was all dispersed.
2: So where, where was she? What was happening to her while well, he was um, imprisoned in chains at this point? Was she also arrested or?
1: Yes, she was. She was arrested as an accomplice to him and she was put in prison too. And... She was there for a period of time. Uh, We're not sure how long, but it was long enough so that she was desperate for money because in those days they didn't give them anything more than bread and water and they had to pay for their own food. But Sarah had no money because her belongings had been seized when Mm. Captain Kidd was arrested. The Governor's henchmen came into her lodgings and stole all her personal belongings. They took her trunk of silver and her money and her all her all her valuables, so she had nothing and then she was in prison with nothing. Her children are back at her lodgings, which are some friends' houses, a friend's house, and she is there all alone with no food in a prison and her husband's Somewhere in the prison, a few cells away, but he doesn't know she's there and she can't get word to him. But Captain Kidd and his protective way of providing for Sarah had, before he met up with her in Block Island, made a backup plan with yet another one of his friends and hid gold with him. His name was Captain Thomas Payne, who lived outside of Newport, Rhode Island. So Captain Payne is holding backup reserves for Sarah, should she ever need them. So Captain Kidd was m- making all these provisions for Sarah for her safety in the event things went bad. And mm-hmm. thank goodness he did because things went very bad. Yeah. So she had She had to get these backup resources in order to have food in prison eventually she was released from prison because the governor had no reason to keep her and uh, so she was released and then she was just waiting months and months and months and months for captain kids hoping hopefully hoping for his release
2: i'm just thinking of where where they started in their relationship as the power couple he was this very admired member of society and now he's in prison they're separated but the commitment like they're still like she's this is her husband and she's just desperate to be reunited with him i would imagine and desperate for him to be freed yeah and now we're just going to take a break for a word from our sponsors shout out to clariton for supporting this episode and providing us with samples So the thing is, I have allergies, my nose gets stuffy, I get sort of sinus congestion, and it just really can sometimes get in the way of doing things I really want to be doing, like recording this podcast, for instance. But you might have noticed that when you're listening to this podcast, you never hear me sounding like a duck or uh, with a runny nose. I'm never wiping my nose or stuff on the microphone. And that's because luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. So I've been taking Claritin-D for my allergies, and the thing is, when I'm using it, you won't even know that I have allergies. My voice sounds so crystal clear when I'm recording and when you're listening to me right now, but also when I'm not doing podcasts, when I'm doing other life-related things, like just going about my day-to-day life like sitting on the bus or going to work or whatever going to the movie theaters I don't have to worry about like do I have tissues with me do I have a handkerchief is this noise bothering everybody am I being gross ready to live as if you don't have allergies it's time to live Claritin clear fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter you don't even need a prescription go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear use as directed
0: Shoppers get it.
1: And we're back. Absolutely. And she 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 sends two petitions to the governor. One of them is politely demanding that the governor return her personal belongings that were seized, because it's all she has to live on. And, and they were returned to her, which is um, really interesting. So she was, uh, she did get her silver back and her her money back. The second petition she sent, she sent three petitions while Kid was in prison. First one was, give me my stuff back, which they did. The second one was, um, let me go visit my husband. He's in need of his wife's affection. mm mm-hmm and the governor did not grant that. And then the third one was we're now into the dead of winter in Boston and of course there's no heat in this this is 1699 Boston's prison is just a hellhole and he has only the clothes that he had when he was chained and imprisoned months ago. We're going on 8 or 9 months now and it, He's freezing. He's absolutely freezing. And so she petitions the governor to let her bring him blankets and warm clothes. And he doesn't let her do that. But the authorities in London are worried that Captain Kidd is going to die in prison because of the conditions. So they make allowances for him to be given blankets so that he will stay alive.
2: So, what is the intent? Why do they want him to stay alive? Are they they're waiting for him to have a trial, or why? What is the end goal for them?
1: They do want to have a trial. Uh, Lord Belmont wants him to be tried for piracy in Massachusetts, but the laws of Massachusetts at the time didn't allow pirates to be tried. They had to be sent to London to be tried there. So they are trying to keep him alive so that he can be tried for his crimes. He is eventually put on a ship. His treasure is put on a ship. The treasure that was dug up from Gardner's Island is put on a ship. His ship, the San Antonio, uh, is, is taken also. And these all go back, go across the Atlantic. To London. In addition, kids' men who were his crew are arrested and taken with him to London. So he is there imprisoned again in solitary confinement for over a year awaiting trial.
2: And that goes, I think, somewhat famously very badly for him.
1: It does. And at this point, he is starting to go mad because. He is physically so worn down and so emotionally worn down from being in solitary confinement in chains in Boston for almost a year. And then in London in the same conditions uh, for another year. So uh, the man's spirit is just depleted. He does manage to, Write some amazing letters defending himself. But you also see from his handwriting and from what he writes that he is now a desperate, desperate man, pleading for his life. And by the way, his his one uh, his evidence is gone missing conveniently. So there, it's very difficult for him to defend himself. He also was given lawyers, but, but not, not enough legal representation. So it was really unfair, the conditions under which he was tried.
2: He really had, had no chance. Like it was, the ending was predetermined. This was a trial that the people, his enemies, wanted him to be found guilty.
1: Yes. Yes. The trial documents are very, very interesting, but they're also I found them hard to read, hard to read, meaning it was just so sad to to hear it all going on. But that's because I um, I really thought Captain Kidd was a decent man. I didn't think he was how they made him out to be is like this monster. I didn't see him that way. He was um, he was tried not only for piracy; he was tried for murder too. And what happened there was that on the third year, when the men were in desperate desperate situations, and they were very very mutinous, and one of his crew members, who is the gunner, meaning he ran the the cannon, um, mouthed off to Captain Kidd. And and a captain of a ship just cannot have disrespect and insolence among his crew members. And in, in the 17th century, what captains did to their crews on a good day may not have been the best of, of, of things. Some of the par- punishment was very harsh. Anyway, so this gunner mouths off to Captain Kidd and... Captain Kidd gets angry because, of course, he's in, in straits, also desperate to try to save his ship that's leaking and to capture prizes, to um, appease his men and his investors and the king in England. So the gunner who mouths off, Captain Kidd hits him with a wooden bucket on the head, and the guy dies the next day. So that then he's accused of being a murderer. But it wasn't premeditated. It was an act of of anger and disciplining the insolent uh crew member. So yeah. Captain Kidd is is now tried for murder and piracy, and he was found guilty of murder. And um so then his his fate was sealed. Then once you have one conviction, it, it, there's no way you're gonna get out of that one. So he was tried for murder, and then he was found guilty of piracy also.
2: And where was Sarah while all this trial was happening in in England?
1: She had left Boston when he
2: was put on a ship
1: to go to London, and she returned home to uh, New York, to her home. She lived on the corner of Pearl Street and Hanover Street in the Hanover Square area of Manhattan. Which is now thought, which is now the financial district mm-hmm. of Manhattan. So she returned to her home there, waiting, thinking that he would be uh, found not guilty, and at the same time, hoping that he would be pardoned because the king issued a proclamation pardoning pirates. They, he was trying to to rid the seas of pirates, and this happened a couple of times that the the King issued pardons, and this pardon, Sarah was really hopeful would would apply to Captain Kidd. but the King specifically named that Captain Kidd would not be in the broad pardon of pirates mm.
2: and so he was found guilty and was put to death, right? Yes, he was hanged on the River Thames.
1: And his body was left in chains for years as a, as a uh, reminder to anyone who would think of turning pirate to let them know it was a terrible idea
2: and so this where does this leave Sarah other than devastated um but she's again widowed, still quite young what does What does she do?
1: well, she waits. It it takes several weeks for her to learn that Captain Kidd's been um, found guilty and that he's been executed. And when she gets the news, the authorities in New York come and confiscate everything from her. So she loses her home, her properties, and all her personal belongings. And she's destitute and she's a social outcast.
2: With, I mean... This is part of what I find so compelling about your book and just this story is the the way her fortunes just like things are good and then they're terrible and then they're good again, like just the swings that she is dealing with. So she's, again, destitute, but she she's a resilient person, certainly. And so how what does she do? So
1: she mourns Captain Kidd for two years and she has got to figure out what to do. And she does what she needs to do. She remarries, and with the help of her father, uh, she remarries a an East Jersey merchant named Christopher Rousby. And with the help of her father, uh, she's able to offer a dowry, which is um, some property that she had. That what well, was in Captain Kidd's name, as all property was, it was in a man's name, and. She has her father, she gives, she has her father take the property um, and give it to Christopher Rousby. So it's a nice arrangement. She and Christopher Rousby get married. And in order to be made whole again, to regain all her properties that she lost as a pirate's wife, she is restored by Queen Anne, who is now the new monarch after King William fell off a horse. And so she is restored. She is saved by a woman. Queen Anne saved her. And Queen Anne had must have had enormous empathy for her because at the time that Sarah sent a petition to the queen asking for the queen to restore her, it took took 6 8 weeks for a letter to cross the atlantic in a ship if it got there at all and the queen within 2 or 3 months restored her made it made it legal again for her to have all her properties so sarah again is has reinvented herself she's made whole again she has a new name she's now sarah Rouseby. she's not sarah Kidd. her two daughters take on Rousby's name, and she has a long and successful marriage with Christopher Rousby. They were married uh-huh. twenty-five years, and she has three sons with him. And one of them she names William, which could be in memory of Captain Kidd.
2: And she lives to for that era uh, quite a a long life to seventy-four. Is it? Yes,
1: which uh-huh. is a very very long life. It's a good long life now.
2: Yeah. I mean, just considering everything. It's it's such a fascinating story. I see why when you first encountered her, you thought, oh, this is this needs to be its own book. This can't just be a chapter in right. another book.
1: Yes, because we all think of, of the story of Captain Kidd. But but no one knows that behind Captain Kidd was this very strong woman. Mm-hmm. And it makes him a, a three-dimensional figure. We we often think of pirates as just these one-dimensional sea rogues who are cutthroats and steal. But we see him now in a new light. And I really wanted to set history straight um to bring her into the light to to give her credit where credit was due.
2: And I think details, like you mentioned well, on this podcast, but also in the book, like the fact that they were friends, like they knew each other, they became quite good friends before they even got married, like while well, she was still married to, to her second husband. The fact they got married, what was it, two days after that husband passed away? Like it speaks to, I think often when I think of people in this era, you think about arranged marriages or you think about people who maybe or forced into it or something, but these were two people who really liked each other, got married, and just had this really strong partnership. And I think that's also that's also worth bringing to the forefront.
1: Yes, it, it was. It's 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 a compelling tale. It's about love and marriage, motherhood and survival. She was a tremendously resilient woman um, who who could overcome adversities. And the, the the part that I found really interesting was that she arrived in New York only with her father and two brothers. She didn't have her mother. Her mother, um, we don't know when her mother passed away. There's no primary sources to to inform when Sarah lost her. But Sarah went through all of these tragedies alone. And she just had to keep figuring it out. And I think her ability to recover from tragedies and to reinvent herself and to keep figuring it out, but she also did it within the strictures of 17th and 18th century society, which were very limited on women. They had no legal identity. They were all based, their whole being was based on a man, through a man. But mm-hmm. Sarah was able to navigate herself through the limitations to create a life for herself, which in the end was very successful. And she restored herself. She, she died. Her will shows that she had all her properties. She had, her five, she had five children that survived to adulthood. And that in itself is amazing mm-hmm. because so many women died in childbirth. So Sarah not only was physically strong living to the age of 74, she was physically strong surviving childbirth and surviving five five pregnancies, and her children lived to adulthood. I mean, she's an, an amazing woman with a, a, a character that is really worth bringing to the forefront of uh, empowering women who have... And who have tragedies, but you can pick yourself up and, and keep going, which is what Sarah Kidd did.
2: And I think just the the fact that her character comes through so strongly, despite not having her diaries, despite not like just the evidence that you were able to find. It really it's enough to to put together. We can see what kind of a person she was just based on the evidence that was left behind. Like that was how strong her character was that it's, that it comes That's through right. just from, yeah.
1: That's right. And and there are no, we don't know what she looked like. There are no portraits of her. There's a portrait of Captain Kidd, but there's no portrait of Sarah Kidd. But we know she was married four times, so she was very attractive. We know that she was described as lovely and accomplished. And we know so much about her by the the events that happened, which there's a real track record of where she was, what she did, who she was with, people who saw her. I first I first met Sarah Kidd and learned who she was through two colonial governors who were referring to Captain Kidd and referred to her, not by name, but by saying, one of them said, Captain Kidd will be going on a a privateering voyage if his wife will let him. (laughs) And I thought, who is she? Yeah, I want to know who she is. Mm -hmm. And then Lord Belmont, when they were in Boston and Captain Kidd was uh, in prison, Lord Belmont says, captain well the gov the the authorities in London say why did you why did you take so long to to arrest Captain Kidd because he was at large for six days in Boston before he was arrested, and the authorities in London said, "Why did you take so long?" And he said, "Because he brought his wife and children with him, and I knew he would not forsake them
2: so those details are stunning because they really say so much about her and about the relationship. And it's just not things you think about when you think of Captain Kidd, the famous pirate. Like you were saying, it really makes him a three-dimensional person.
1: Right, right. And the thing that is is really interesting is that the people around him and the people around her all recognized this very special relationship that they had. It was evident they must have stood close to each other, or showed some sort of affection, because it was very evident enough that it was mentioned by two colonial governors.
2: Mm-hmm. And it was written
1: in in primary sources.
2: So the last part of this podcast is just a a thing I do at the end of all the episodes, just to we score the different women we talk about on this podcast in different categories, just to kind of see, not to compare them against each other, but just how people fall in different categories. And I have some ideas about where Sarah's going to fall. The first category is what we call, um, scandalousness. So how to the people of her time, if you're thinking on a scale of zero to 10, how, and this is hard because there was periods of her time where people, where she was shunned, where she was the pirate's wife, but then she dusted herself off and became um, a respected member of society again. So, on a scale of zero to ten, how scandalous do you think she was?
0: Uh,
1: well, you're you're quite right that the the, the different stages in her life. Um, at, at some point in her life, she would have been con- considered scandalous when mm-hmm. she lost everything, uh, and her husband was. A convicted pirate. That would have been scandalous. So I would have given her a 10 for that as far mm-hmm. as being scandalous. Um, she, At the time, she was the only woman in Manhattan that was the wife of a convicted pirate. And she was the only woman who had lost everything she owned because of her association with him. So I would say that's a 10. But mm-hmm. I would think on the other times of the other three marriages (laughs) I would say that (laughs) I would say she was a 10 with Captain Kidd on the last part of their marriage the first five years they were right
2: yeah he was not
1: (laughs) um and then for her first for her other three marriages I would say that she was a zero
2: yeah and I mean for the last 25 years of her life she's very respected so if we I'll average that out to a five maybe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is funny. I don't think I've ever had someone on the show who like veered so extremely, but she did. Right, right. Um, the next category is we call it scheminess, which really just means like, and I think you're talking a lot about this, the resourcefulness, like when they're backed up in a corner, how clever are they? How are they able to to figure out how smart was she basically? And I think this would be a high score.
1: Oh, definitely. When she, when she was, um, and we see that in this, in the, the, the period when she is in Boston, she's a 10, she should be a 25, but she's, she is showing her deep depth of love, commitment, resourcefulness to protect her husband and her family.
2: The fact that I've had other women I've talked about on the show who fell into poverty or unfortunate circumstances and they were never able to get out of it. But the fact that she did at least twice really speaks to how, how just kind of indomitable she was, how smart she was, how clever she was. Yeah.
1: I love that you use the word indomitable. Indomitable. That's the word that I think of too. She had skills; she knew how to persuade she knew how to hustle, she knew how to survive. Her greatest strengths were her courage, her commitment, and her love. but so, she to get back to scheminess um mm-hmm. i think she i think she was schemy in in um in ways that were um appropriate for the time i mean it's it's not like she went and hurt anybody. She worked within the, the confines of what she had, but she was trying to figure out, she even tried to figure out how to get Captain Kidd out of prison and how to be sweet to the guard. And I don't mean sweet meaning in a sexual way. She was, she was charming. She was mm-hmm. without a doubt, very charming and very persuasive. So scheminess, she knew how to use her skills.
2: Yeah. And again, I think it's so stunning that that comes across even with so little primary source information about her. Like it was so strong, her scheminess, that it that it's evident even through just a few documents.
1: Right. Well, those are the yes. But there are a lot of documents uh, about her time in, in Boston that are left. So I knew the details of her time in Boston not only from the petitions that she sent, but from the, the the court documents and the council member documents, there's a lot of information that surround her that um, show her uh, show her character.
2: Well, and I guess that's the other thing too. It's I've I've been saying there's so little evidence, but you're right. There is there were many things you're able to look at, but I think compared to other women of that era, there's so much more, like there's so many other wives of merchants we don't know about. So the fact that she did make herself, it just shows the effect she had on everyone around her. The fact that she, that we know as much as we do.
1: That's right. That's exactly right.
2: Which leads me to the next category, which is significance. So this is within, um, what she did, how much of an effect did she leave behind on people who knew her or on uh, the events that were happening around her? What's her significance to to history do you think
1: I think her significant well because no one know, knew anything about her, um no one knew of no one knew she was in history. Mm-hmm. I think in her period in her time, the significance was to her family and that would be a 10 because mm-hmm. she was so devoted and so protective of them and provided for them that the significance is on her immediate family, her five children, her grandchildren that she provided mm-hmm. for and for the future generations, uh, the, the her. T- church was Trinity Church in Wall St- on Wall Street in Manhattan and Captain Kidd helped build the church and they had a pew there and the records show that she continued to use the pew and worship there many years after he died and she is buried there I believe and her son and grandson are buried there and her children can and gen- well her her offspring and um, the future generations continued to use Trinity Church until the 1800s. So her significance, I would say, is on her family, and she passed on her sense of values, family values. She mm-hmm. was very religious, very, very religious, uh, attending this Anglican church, Trinity Church. Um, so the significance, I would give her a 10. Mm -hmm. for her immediate family. And now that this book has brought her into the light, I think it's a book of empowerment for men and women that they can see how relationships can work together. And um, so I think that she is a 10 um, in history.
2: And then the final category is, I describe it as the sexism bonus. It's kind of for women who Could have done more if not for the state of women in the world to give them some more points if they need them. I think certainly, like the fact that she couldn't own her own property, you know, she couldn't have her own money would have gotten in her way. But I would argue that she did very well for herself considering how few rights women had. She found ways around that, like by finding a new husband, by finding ways to leverage her power. So I'm not sure how much more she could have done. I don't know. It's a complicated thing to think of with her because she was successful, like you were saying, within her own life, within her family, within that world. I'm not sure what more she could have done if she had been able to own her own property. Things like that. That's right.
1: I, I agree with you. I think that's that's very clear understanding of the situation. Um, if it was sex and sexism, it was just that she had... The limitations it was called femme covert. Uh, it was that she uh, married women couldn't own property and their standing was through their husband, um, and they had no legal rights. So the sexism was that men controlled women. She was the property of her husband. So that sexism part would have been a ten, but but you're absolutely right. She 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 managed to work around around it and. Was very successful, so she didn't really let the sexism bother her too much. She worked with it.
2: Yeah, she found ways around it. Like you know, it would have been like if after her second husband died, if she was destitute and was never able to pull herself out of it, then that would have been like oh, because of women's place in the world. But she found ways to continuously do that. So I think I would give her a a low score for that, just because that didn't get in her way. I'll give her I don't know a two maybe.
1: I agree with you. I think that's a, I think two is perfect.
2: Yeah. So that gives her a total of 27, which I'm going to say is on the scale of people who are on this podcast, it's a lot of people fall in that range because that's why I have the four categories. Some people score high in some and lower in some. It's rare for somebody to score high in everything. But I love, I love that you've brought her to the forefront. I love that you wrote this biography of her. So, the Pirate's Wife, The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd. Is there anything else? I think you've talked so beautifully about the importance of her story and about the book. Is there any any final thoughts you want to share with the listeners about her importance, about why, why you feel this book is important?
1: I think it's important because it reveals that Sarah was easily as interesting and remarkable as her famous husband. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think I think she's a woman that we can appreciate why Captain Kidd loved her and why four men married her. Um, And I think it's just um, uh, at the end of the story, I was so sad when she died because I wanted to know what she would do next, because Mm -hmm. I was so taken by her strength and her courage, her commitment and her fierce devotion.
2: Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for for sharing this story. Um, I I could not recommend your book more. I think it's such an important book, but I also think it's a very it, it's a narrative nonfiction. Like it reads, it reads almost like a novel at times. So it's very much. I would imagine your intent was for uh, people with no knowledge of this story can just pick it up and and learn the story without having to be know about the history of piracy. I'm assuming that's That's the readership you're thinking of? Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. I wanted to write it for a general audience of men and women of all ages. And I I wrote it intentionally to be easily read, not as an academic piece, not as an intense maritime history piece, but as as the love story that it is.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Daphne. Thank
1: you. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed our conversation.
2: So I didn't mention in the episode, but you can keep up with Daphne and what she's up to at her website, which is com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I really recommend reading this book. It's such an interesting story. And it's really, as she explained on this episode, you know, trying to to bring forward this woman whose life story was so interesting and so fascinating, but also to to add a bit more three-dimensionality to this to the figures of, of Captain Kidd and other pirates who are often just seen kind of one dimensionally. I want to also say, so Sarah Kidd's final score was a 27, which is like, we've got a real, that's a popular score on this podcast. Some other notable people who have a 27. Um, I just wanted to include, so Saeed Al-Hura, who is the first pirate related person we talked about on this podcast, also has a 27. As do, let's see, so John Lamotte from the Affair of the Necklace as a 27, Ana de Mendoza with the eye patch. She was not a pirate, but you know, it's a pirate adjacent thing. So that's a, she's in good company with a 27 on this scale. And I realized after I posted the episode a couple of weeks ago, about Lola Montez that I forgot to record um, saying what her total was. So Lola Montez, the Irish grifter, her total score was 23, which is in a, in very good company of other people who Allison Epstein has also joined me in episodes to talk about. Uh, Catalina de Araujo has a 23.5. Christopher Marlowe has a 22.5. So that's, that's where Lola fell on this scale. And you can all the I don't know, I've got like a silly different thing to say to you as we wrap up this episode. So first of all, as per ever, if you want to give me some feedback or some notes or suggest somebody for a future episode, there's a link where you can do that at vulgarhistory.com. I also want to let you know at that same link, which is where you can send me messages with like holiday gift giving coming up soon, like what I don't know, Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and all different things. And if you want to, as a gift, give somebody an audio recording of me saying, I don't know, happy Hanukkah to your friend or whatever. I'm totally open to do that. I did that for somebody. And then I was like, Oh, I could, I could do this for other people. If you want to do that as a gift. It's not like, it's like what cameo is, except it's just me doing a voice recording and not a video. And it's just, you can ask me about that through my website. If you want to do that. Also, please note in terms of gift giving or just like self gift giving, there's all new merch available on the merch store. So this is We've just passed the three-year anniversary of vulgar history, and which is really exciting. And I could never have imagined that the show would reach as many people as it has in so many countries as it has. And so to celebrate this landmark, I got an artist who's um, Deborah Wong, who actually created the image that you see of me in the podcast, the like me, my face on Queen Elizabeth. She did that beautiful Photoshop job. She uh, created four pieces of art that I got her to do based on four kind of iconic people from vulgar history episodes. So there's one for Empress Cece, there's one for Francis Howard, there's one for Catalina de Arauso, and there's one for Hortense Mancini. And each of them, it's a it's a beautiful drawing that she's done, which is sort of inspired by what the person's story was like, kind of what the discussion about them was like in vulgar history. So for instance, on the Catalina de Arauso, it's her famous face with her Lord Farquaad haircut, um, but she's sitting on it's like she's riding a llama, but the image looks like a playing card, which is what playing cards look like when Catalina was running around, grifting people at card games and stabbing them. And then Hortense Mancini's, she's it's her famous portrait. It's based on the famous portrait of her, famous to us, with her sailor moon buns and the flowers. But she's all surrounded by flowers, and that kind of shows how she, through the face of great challenges, um, so many adversities she faced in life, that, but she kept beautifully blooming and through it like a beautiful flower. The Empress Cece one, it's partially the famous portrait of Cece with the stars in her hair, but it's like, that's half of it. And the other half is a a horse just kind of like running wild with the, the mane of hair just to show like Cece is seen so much as this beautiful person who, you know, famously wearing the really tight corset and stuff, but really on the inside and who she wanted to be and who she really was in her soul was this horse girl who loved growing up just free in the woods. And then... The, the final portrait is, of course, Frances Howard, who is one of the muses for why I ended up doing this podcast in the first place. So it's a beautiful drawing of her and her famous tits out portrait. And underneath it says tits out, but in like oldie time English script using the language. And I did consult with people who know about this stuff, um, how you would have said and written tits out in the 17th century when she lived. So it says like titties outies. Anyway, so that's all available at vulgarhistory.store. If you're going to be shopping there, remember you can use code TITSOUT for free US shipping or TITSOUT10 for 10% off. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram at vulgarhistorypod. Also, I've started doing TikTok. So on TikTok at vulgarhistory. As I record this, uh, Twitter is slowly imploding as a thing. So by the time this is released, like God knows what's going on there. But anyway, Twitter at vulgarhistory. And if you want to support the podcast as well, you can... Support me at patreon.com slash Anne So if you join for at least a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to all the episodes. And then if you pledge at least $5 a month, then you get access to the Patreon Limited. Other series, so Vulgar Peace Theater, where I talk with Lana Wood Johnson and Alison Epstein about costume dramas. Most recently, Queen Margot, my favorite movie of all time. I also talk about, um, there's so this Asshole episodes are on there, the most recent one I've done there. Genghis Khan so which was voted on by the Patreons so when you're there as well sometimes there's polls you can help me choose what to talk about anyway that's that's my long rambling end of things but basically The Pirate's Wife The remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd great book super recommend and until next time keep your pants on and your tits out. Folker History is hosted written and researched by Anne Foster and edited by Christina Lumagi.